Welcome to Dead House. I am Dylan. I'm Nathan. I am a little dusty today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't miss it. Yeah, we had a birthday dinner and some drinks with some friends last night. Again, we got a lot of birthdays in our friend group. And yeah, the end half month, of the year is months. always just rough. It's like every every couple of yeah. weeks is a fucking birthday. It's all in the middle and it's all at the end. So in between, we've got like what? Easter and, and Halloween, I guess. Yeah. To yeah. celebrate. No, yeah, yeah Easter you, you drink and you, you celebrate because it's... Well, it's, I'm a Riley, so usually we just drink for any occasion. Yeah, but, but you're on a good streak at the I moment. I've just ticked over to a month sober. Good That's stuff. impressive. Hell we'll, yeah. Uh, keep, keep track of that. I think <laughs> I may need to follow suit. I mean, now I only drink on weekends. I eventually want to, to stretch that out to just occasions, but uh, I do enjoy a fine whiskey, so we'll see how that goes. But Very nice. Props. Proud of you. Hell yeah. I have something to show you. Show me. So, okay. On, so here we have, I found Stephen King's Christine book. Mm-hmm. We checked out that bookstop at Launton. Yep, yep. Picked this up. Not bad. Very nice. This is one book. I found other books. Oh, okay. If my assistant could. Okay. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> what, what is that? Describe that, that to the viewers. What perhaps makes this the best reveal <laughs> is that I was complimenting this Duda cover before Alex just pulled that away and revealed some classic goosebumps with the original covers. Yes. I can see the headless ghost horror camp jelly jam. Welcome to Dead House, and it's the original <laughs> cover. Oh my god! Picked up, I think what was it, 18, 18 original Goosebumps plus Christine for like twenty bucks. Dope. Fucking bargain. That is, that is a bargain. Yeah, and shit. These these are some of the ones that I really remember. Like you got Monster Blood two. Oh, I forgot you got about the some barking of these. ghost. Yeah, bad hair day. Fucking now I got my shrunken head. My choose hairiest your own adventure. Adventures. Oh, the Choose Your Own. What's that yeah. one? This one is Secret Agent Grandma. And I think we have the first <laughs> one, which is some sort of carnival, right? I remember this one. That was the first Choose Your Own Adventure one I read. Yes. Is it because it's number one? Yeah, it is number one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what do you call it? Not Horrorland. The Just Choose Your Own. They must have had their own numbers. Yeah. Yeah. That's sick. The reader beware. Choose your scare. Dope. Very cool. Hell yeah. So, that, uh, yeah, I found out. I was very excited. Very nice. And you also got some movies, I see. Let me just uh, go through these for the listeners. So... Anaconda, classic. Final Destination 2, classic, which is my favorite in that series, by the way. Yep. That's the, the highway accident, right? Oh, you it is. The, Getting yeah, everyone PTSD when they go behind a log truck on the highway. Absolutely. Uh, Alien, director's cut, which looks like it's got two discs and a bunch of bonus shit, which is cool. And The Deadly Mr. Frost <laughs> with a 30-something-year-old Jeff Goldblum, which we've never heard of, and it looks tacky as fuck. But I mean, it's just that cover. It's Jeff Goldblum in his 38, or oh, I don't know how old he is in that. Prime with a literal twinkle uh, in his eye. Yeah, that is that is gold. You'll have to watch that and let me know what that's like. Speaking uh, of movies, I watched a, a movie today. Okay. So yesterday I watched The Boy. Yep. As per your recommendation, very much enjoyed it. And today I watched Smile. Okay. Because I've had a few people suggest yeah, yeah. that film to me, and yeah, uh, a bit of that a was sleeper one of, hit that I found that we yeah, found last year. Yeah, I didn't really think much of it when I saw the trailer and it was at the movie, so I was going to wait till it was on DVD and then I never got the DVD, so I watched it on binge day and I was impressed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's well shot, it's cool concept. Mm-hmm, Reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of It Follows if it melded with The Happening, if The Happening was good. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I could see that. Yeah. Just like this curse that follows people and goes down the line, but then it makes you kill yourself, so mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, what are we what are we here for this week, though? Today we are going to be talking about Candyman, nineteen ninety two original, a cult classic. Yes. And uh, this is one that, admittedly, I had not seen before we watched it this week for this pod. Yeah, I had not seen it in its entirety. It's one of those movies that I knew so much about, and I'd mm. seen so many clips of. It's very that, famous. Yeah, that like up until like this sort of podcast time, I yeah. never really sort of bothered to go back and watch it because I thought, oh, I know everything about it. I saw the movie. Mm. But, man, going back and actually watching the whole movie start to finish, so good. So yeah. much better. Because I had seen references to this, I don't know where, but just the like iconic hook for a hand. Yes. Um, and the whole like Bloody Mary type thing of like saying his name five times in the mirror. Like I, I knew all that about the story, yeah. but that was all I knew. Well, it's funny you say that because... When I first ever heard about like Candyman, it was when my sister told me because she used to tell me just urban legends and stuff that I used uh, to love. Yep. And she told me about this one. And I was like, oh, you say Candyman five times in the mirror. That's just a rip off of Bloody Mary. That's <laughs> fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah, it's, it's one of those films that um, 
It's horror in the sense that it's, like you said, an urban legend and uh, there's like this natural fear around the superstition of it all. Like, is it real? Is it not? Um, But also there's not, I don't know, there's not like a constant threat or like this menace in this film because a lot of the people don't know whether to believe it or not. It's not like people are being chased by something Yeah, like a slasher film. It's it's definitely not made to the standard like slasher formula. Mm. So for literally, I want to say like half the movie, you don't see Candyman. Yeah. Like uh, obviously this is a full spoiler review. Mm. (laughs) Uh, It's just so interesting how they set up half the movie with Candyman and then halfway through they sort of reveal that Candyman's not real. It's Mm. some like gang lord pretending to be the myth of Candyman. Yeah, yeah. And so like the movie posits, oh yeah, this is all made up, it's fine. And Mm. then like 40, 45 minutes into the movie, you get the real Candyman. Yeah, it's almost like keeping that superstition alive so people stay out of that neighborhood in a way. Yeah. But then, yeah, you get like the double bluff of, oh shit, okay, he's actually a thing. (laughs) Yeah. And... Yeah, this is it's really interesting because it's it's an original enough concept. Like obviously it takes elements of folklore, I guess, in things we've just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But the concept behind how Candyman came to be was uh was definitely some social commentary that I guess we'll get into when we talk about like the plot of the film. Yep. And uh that's possibly why I enjoyed this film so much as a horror is because of like the underlying themes um, that do address society mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. you know, we touched on that in films like The Night Eats the World and The Mist and the reason why I like, enjoy those films so much. And, uh, yeah, I suppose we'll get into a bit of the background. So, written and directed by Bernard Rose and based on short story, was it? Yeah, yeah, I believe it was a short story from Clive Barker, man behind Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah, The Forbidden. And was this in Books of Blood, the same one that Hellraiser is in? Ooh, couldn't tell you that much there, Chief. Yeah, I can't remember what collection it's from. Yeah, so I don't think Clive Barker adapted in any way in terms of the screenplay, but signed on as a producer to to maintain that integrity and that original vision of it. And uh, starring Virginia Madsen and, of course, Tony Todd. Yes, yes, the uh, himself. Who graced the screen for... That 1990 United Living Dead. Yeah. Well, I believe he signed, like Clive Barker signed on because Bernard Rose, or Bernard, however you pronounce it, mm. uh, had already done an adaptation of a Clive Barker movie. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I can't for life me remember what it was called. It might be something to do with night or mm. sleep. I don't know. I'm not so sure. But yeah, so they, so Bernard Rose had already adapted it. And so Clive Barker was like, oh, I like that. Yeah, okay. I like that ad- adaptation of it. So can you, you know, let's talk about adapting this mm, so they already had that rapport and he obviously trusted him adapting his work yeah 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 cool so tony todd six foot five like this really tall kind of hulking guy but this really like mild-mannered kind of sense of nobility almost to him yeah, yeah. in this and i <laughs> read that one of the casting choices originally for candy man was eddie murphy it, uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I can kind of see it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen Eddie Murphy in a non-comedic role. Like, I guess the closest I've seen to non-comedy is um, Beverly Hills Cop. Like, it's a comedy, but yeah. there are just moments in that where he's not being, like, some comedy fucking busting everyone's chops. That's true. That's true. But I, I still think that's a weird choice. It um, is. <laughs> and apparently they didn't end up using him for two reasons. One, they couldn't afford him. Oh, okay. <laughs> but two, he was deemed too short. Oh, okay. And another interesting... They wanted him to be be a bit more... uh, What's the word? Like, looming? Yeah, Yeah. well, it's weird because it's like intimidating stature, but not an intimidating character. Yeah. Meanwhile, they made Jack Reacher, who's meant to be like a (laughs) six foot four, built like a brick shithouse, fist the size of like... Bricks, yeah. Uh, Tom Cruise, yeah. That's what five, <laughs> five, six, five, eight. I don't know. A lot of people give Tom Cruise shit, and I'll be honest, I'm not a fan. But <laughs> I do give him props for the fact that he does a lot of his own stunts. Yeah, like I've seen behind the scenes footage of him like driving off a cliff on a motorbike and legit pulls his own parachute, and it's it's just him. Yeah. So respect for that, but yeah. No. Yeah, just not all that Scientology shit. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and another interesting alternative was Sandra Bullock as a backup for Helen if Virginia Madsen did not accept. Which I I'm trying to think early 90s. Yeah, I don't know what if Sandra I... Bullock would have been in. Was, was Miss Congeniality out yet? Yeah, probably Miss, Miss Congeniality, mm. which makes me 
Like, that's what I think of Sandra Bullock in, so I can't see her as uh, Virginia Madsen. Yeah, I don't see her playing very likable characters often. As Virginia Madsen? As Helen Lyle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that I thought was interesting. But no, I, I think it was a solid casting choice uh, to go with Virginia. And also, Tony Todd is just a man. Yeah, especially just his voice. Like Because yeah, the movie yeah. opens with uh, like him having a bit of a monologue. Mm. And then I swear every scene that he's talking is like ADR later in a booth. Because it's got this, like, echo, it's, like, boosted, it's, like, baseful, you can feel it in your soul. Yeah, yeah. It's... I think he just generally has, like, that deep, rich voice, but there's definitely some sort of, like, processing on it in post yes. to... to make, make it more hypnotic. Almost, like, ethereal, I would say, as well. Yeah. I mean, it fits with the whole supernatural character. Well, I'm pretty sure when he speaks... Uh, well, not that he has a lot of dialogue, but a lot of it in the film, his lips don't move. So it's almost like using telepathy in a way. Okay. At yeah, least... I mean that, that's the, that's the sort of like feel that I was getting, where mm. it the, just the way it sounds very echoey, very like loud. It's almost as if you're hearing it from her point of view. Yeah, like it's kind of like in your mind. And I feel like the first I might be misremembering, but I feel like the first time you see him, like he appears uh, in, in the, the car in park. The car park yep. He's like floating towards her, like he's not actually striding. Oh, I don't know if he's fully floating. Mm, but maybe it's just a really long coat. Yeah. <laughs> Hides his leg movements. This was made on a budget of six to eight million. I couldn't find an exact figure. Box office twenty six million. So it did pretty well. Yeah, okay. More, more than doubled its money, tripled its money. Mm. We watched it on DVD. Did you watch the special features? I did not. Okay, I did, and there's some some interesting little tidbits in there that I'll, I'll mention that okay. I think uh, will intrigue you. Uh, some very interesting production points of this film. So, obviously, the bees are a big factor of this movie and the story, and I never knew why before I saw this. Well, I, I knew about the hook movie, hand yep. and all that kind of thing. I just didn't know what bees had to do with it. Yeah, I, I was watching interviews with uh, cast and crew members, and apparently they had an apiary above the studio mm-hmm. uh, where they would use newly hatched bees for yep. filming because the stingers hadn't fully formed yet. So if they did sting you, it wasn't that bad. Yes. I don't know if that meant they died afterwards as well or not. Oh, I would assume so. Which is gets That's where it gets kind of like very vague on the keeping animals safe during mm. filming a movie. Like... If it's an animal that dies when it stings you, how are you really going to stop that? <laughs> well, I guess they tried to uh, deter them from stinging the actors because they dabbed pheromones on their skin so the worker and drone bees would protect rather than attack the actors. Oh, like the whole makes them think it's the queen? Yeah, yeah, yeah which is really interesting. And uh, obviously there's that big scene when... Candyman actually has bees come out of his mouth. Yep, the old bee kiss. Yeah, and Tony Todd wore a mouth guard and put like a bunch of live bees in his mouth and just held it until they called action (laughs) and just um, opened his mouth and let them kind of crawl out lethargically. And What a champion. Yeah, and apparently he was stung over 20 times uh, in the filming of this, so he negotiated a $1,000 bonus for each one, (laughs) which is smart. Yeah, that's good. Wise move. And of course, I still wouldn't want to be stung in the mouth that many times. And you said before about Candyman having an almost like hypnotic voice. Uh, I don't know if you read or heard about it, but the director, Bernard Rose, actually had Virginia Madsen hypnotized for a lot Ooh. of her scenes with Candyman because he hates screaming. He hates watching <laughs> horror movies and seeing people scream because he thinks it's just an annoying sound. <laughs> so he liked this idea of... Uh, Helen in the presence of the Candyman being almost entranced by him and like calm as opposed to distressed. Okay. So uh, to to aid that performance, he actually had a hypnotist on set and um, worked out like some word that he would say that would bring her back after you know they've called cut. Or maybe it was just the word cut. <laughs> <laughs> it pr- like there's something to it because you see you see some weird shit that happens with hypnotism, mm. but like. I just imagine it's one of those things where you have to be susceptible susceptible to it to begin with. Yeah. You have to be open and like not at all skeptical mm. for them to actually take control and like hypnotize you. Whereas I think I'm too skeptic. I don't know if it would actually work. Yeah. I don't even know how it works. I see like signs at markets and things like that of, of hypnotists that can stop you smoking see, and I drinking think, and things like that. I think all like of that. those are just scam artists. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how it works, but uh, it's it's cool that they went to that length. And uh, I mentioned before, the, it, it's set in uh, the housing projects of Cabrini Green in Chicago, and they actually filmed there. 
And uh, I think in the book um, or the story, Clive Barker was basing it on a place in England where England, he grew yeah. up. Yeah, that was pretty rough. And uh, on the final day of filming at the uh, at that location, someone fired a shot through the roof of one of their production vans, and no right. one was injured, and the bullet like lodged in the floor. But they're like, "All right, we've we've probably <laughs> outstayed our welcome. Let's wrap things right. up." Well, I'm pretty sure they had like local gang members as extras in the movie. Yeah, to, I think to, that to, like, was a condition of, to yeah. filming there because they kind of ruled it. That's so funny. That's, yeah, like, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, about like. I suppose on that note of the social commentary I mentioned before and um, that racial tension of filming in the projects, the main character, Helen Lyle, is like this 30-something, I guess, year old white woman and her co-worker or um, friend is... Oh, Bernadette. Yeah, is an African-American woman, but she's the one that's more afraid when they like go into this building mm-hmm. and they're in the like bad side of this neighborhood, which I found really interesting. Um, and also... I guess tying in with Helen, like being calm in Candyman's presence as well, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it, she kind of like builds this rapport with like some of the the people that live there, like Emery, the woman with the baby, mm-hmm. and young Jake, I think his name was, mm-hmm. the little boy. So, yeah, that was really cool to see because uh, I guess the story behind the Candyman myth or the urban legend is he was the son of a slave that fell in love with the daughter of a wealthy white man. Yep. She fell pregnant, and then he ordered him be killed, and it was rather violent. <laughs> what did do they explain? What the like? Why they put a hook on his hand in the backstory? I think I that was quite just remember. part of the torture. Yeah, okay. Some like Mexican drug cartel shit. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, if I remember correctly, they sawed his hand off, mm-hmm. jammed a like hook, meat hook uh, in yep, the bloody stump, there. lathered him in honeycomb from nearby hives, so bees would sting him. Mm-hmm. And then they burnt him to death. Uh, yeah, I believe so that is all accurate. Quite horrendous. <laughs> and the legend is that if you look in the mirror and you say his name five times, he'll appear. And Helen works out that her apartment building was redesigned from an original housing projects building where mm-hmm. the medicine cabinet in the bathrooms can be removed. And then there's only like a thin plaster wall to the next apartment. Yep. And that's how she works out, like, he would have come through as opposed to just, you know, appearing in the mirror behind you. Mm -hmm. But I read that, uh, I I can't remember if it was Clive Barker or if it was Bernard Rose, but there there was a series of killings in apartments like that where the killer actually came through the wall behind the medicine cabinet. So that's, like, what inspired that. And it just happened to tie in behind, like, the reflection myth. Damn, that's cool. Because so. that, that's like a very cool aspect of it where it just takes part of the urban legend of, oh, I'm, like this man came out of the mirror mm. and makes it realistic. Go, oh, a man did come out of the mirror, but it was behind the mirror. Yeah. And it's just been embellished through just like urban legend storytelling. Yeah, yeah, that's right. To make it supernatural. Yeah. Have you ever done the Bloody Mary thing? Uh, I mean, I don't think so. I don't. I, I might have when I was a kid. But yeah, I don't know. I meant to like light a candle or something as well. Do it in the yeah, dark. Yeah, I don't know. It's a bunch of hog, hog, hog swallow. Whatever the fuck they're called. <laughs> Hogswash. I don't know. Hogswash. Yeah, that's Is it. it. Hogwash. Hogwash. Not hogwash. hogwash. Are we talking about fucking Harry Potter places? <laughs> <laughs> um, and talking before about how Helen's always really calm and entranced in Kenny Man's presence. Uh, I saw in the special features of the DVD that. Uh, that sort of relationship was influenced by like classic gothic literature where you've got like these villains, I'll say, like from romantic tragedies like Frankenstein and Dracula, for example. Uh, Even Phantom of the Opera, I guess. I mean, that's what I got. Very big vibes of Phantom of the Opera and and Dracula Mm. or Blackula. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when Candyman says towards the end, like it was always you, Helen, and it will always be you. But like... It's impossible because he was killed in like the 1800s. Yeah, but it, it, like in uh, his sort of lair, there's the mural of him and the woman he fell in love with, who just looks similar to Helen. Mm. So that's just like a like a the Mummy Two type scenario or the Mummy type yeah. scenario where the main character just happens to look like the villain's like long lost love. Yeah, yeah, and that was quite interesting. Like that's why I think Frankenstein's one of my favorite novels because it's just so heartbreaking. It's like. <laughs> Like Frankenstein's monster, he just wants to like be, you know, accepted into society and befriend people, but because he's hideous, <laughs> people uh, you know, a bored creature thou art, people just 
trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so strong themes of racism and that like suburban fear um, or like the distrust, I guess, of like bad neighborhoods. Um, but the fact that like those like bad neighborhoods exist because like American society segregated those people. Yeah. So yeah, it was interesting to see the commentary on that. Um, and also like mentioned before about how uh, I can't remember her partner's name. Um, Trevor, I think. Oh, not like her relationship partner, but the person oh, she's doing Bernadette. like a case study with. Bernadette. Bernadette. Yeah, how like she's more afraid uh, and more tense in those areas than she is. Like Trevor, her cheating husband. <laughs> like it. that's another kind of layer to this. It's like this fear of what this marginalized African-American society could do to like upper class or middle class white people in those areas. But then in like their comfortable upper class lives, there's things like cheating and, and, you know, money laundering and all this kind of thing going on. All the white collar crimes. Yeah. Yeah. I just really liked that. So it's like they're, it's like they're creating their own myths. They're Mm -hmm. like projecting these, um, you know, stereotypes onto these people when they've got their own problems. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned before, like the opening scene when it, has the slow zoom on the swarming bees and it's got Tony Todd's like voiceover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I remember correctly, he says with a hook for a hand, I'll split you from your groin to your gullet. That's <laughs> Which, sick. That sounds very like Shakespearean. <laughs> yeah. That's some poetic shit yeah. right there. And I mean, speaking of Shakespeare, you know, when they find like the public toilet and it's got sweets to the sweet on the wall, mm-hmm. that's a line from Hamlet. Oh, nice. Okay. Which is, yeah, I thought it was nice. Uh, and that opening shot as well, like, the aerial steady cam of the bustling highways mm-hmm. and then you get that famous like title font of Candyman. Like even not having seen this until this last week, like I recognized like that title card. And I think they reused that in the twenty twenty one sequel as well. That uh, makes sense. Still like sort of paying homage to it. Yeah, yeah. But that shot apparently um kind of like using the steady cam in the shining, that smooth and aerial shot was apparently like revolutionary at the time in early 90s hell yeah yeah which is really cool and the that whole like mirror ritual does helen do that with bernadette like near the start of the movie sort of near the start and that's kind of like how things kick off because i'm trying to remember when they do that how soon after there's like do things start happening Uh, supernatural well it takes a little bit of while because like the movie, like I said, sort of sets it up that there could be something, but mm. then goes to say, no, there's nothing by making this like real world troubles happen when she gets like jumped in the in the bathroom by the quote unquote real candy man. Yeah. And then it's just sort of soon after that is when you first see him. Yeah. Because is there like an opening scene of a different woman, whether it's Ruthie Jean or whether it's someone else and they do it? And then it's like yeah. seconds later, Candyman appears and kills. Them. Yeah, well, it, it it opens with that scene, but then it sort of reveals that that's a story being told to Helen by like a college kid. Right. Okay. Got so you. So it's it's their account. It's part of the legend. And I also like how in that whole sort of starting sequence of the movie, mm. you hear a couple of different versions of like the Candyman legend to show. Oh yeah, it's an urban legend. So obviously, there's going to be different takes on it, different variations mm. where people take it and then just add a little twist to it. Yeah, that's right. Because one kid's like, oh, I heard that was in New York. Yeah. And things like that. Yeah. And then they start talking about the alligators and shit. <laughs> alligators in the sewers. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And I really like the that like hole in the mouth of the graffiti where it's his like lair, I guess. Yeah. Cause, so that was behind like Ruthie Jean's apartment, right? The, yep. the first murder victim, I guess yep. we'll say. Yep. And she finds like that chocolate or the candy with the, the razor in it. Mm-hmm. And was that... So, I presume he's called Candyman because either of that or the whole honeycomb thing, right? I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm not too sure. I can't quite remember why they actually called him Candyman. Okay. Because the floor of that apartment is like littered with candy wrappers and having yeah. a, a razor blade, like a bloodied razor blade in it, like the one that she opens. I think Jake, that young boy, like tells a story later of how he would like give them out to children. Mm. So, I guess it was to like kill or scare kids i don't know i think all of that stuff though is like the real life candy man yeah the like the actual guy not tony todd yeah that's the vibe i got too yeah and that story that like 
Jake tells Helen of the boy that was like violently castrated <laughs> in the public toilets. That was uh, a pretty um, horrendous visual when when he's like recounting it and it shows the boy uh, and he's like, oh, and they went in there and heard him screaming and they found it floating in the toilet. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh man. Oh, because she's like, oh, did they, did he kill him? And he's like, nah, he, he would have wished he was dead. Yeah, though. yeah. And is that, yeah, that, so that's the scene when you've got like the sweets to the sweet on the wall and she goes in there and the toilet is like full of bees, yeah. right? The toilet bowl. And that's when the gang like comes in. Yeah. So I don't know if those, so maybe those bees were like supernatural, I mm. guess. Yeah. I so think that, that's probably the first hint of any supernatural stuff going on. So the gang comes into the bathroom and the guy like impersonating Candyman with a long leather coat and the... The hook like hits her in the eye yep. and then she's in the cop station with the sunglasses and yep. they're like trying to point out the lineup mm-hmm. and they bring like the five of them forward to and he's like, say the line. And it's like, oh, what's the line? I heard you looking for candy, man, bitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why does she need to do that? Did she not like have a full on conversation with that man right in front of her before she got hit? Because she's still got to ID him. I don't know. Yeah, but she could have just been like, yeah, it was that guy. The one in the fucking long <laughs> black leather coat. <laughs> I don't know. It, I'm not a fucking cop in Chicago, you know? Maybe know. that's just the way it works over there. You still have to get them all in and... Yeah. I mean, hell, she's half fucking blind. Procedure. Maybe she was, like, concussed or something and didn't remember what happened in the yeah. lead-up to the incident. I also love those effects, though, like when her eyes all busted up. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah. I just thought that was an unusual scene when, like, there was, it was a drawn-out scene when they, like, bum-rush her in the Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I guess the, the whole reason that scene is in there is to like establish the catching of the real candy man because mm. how, how else would they have done it just have a line saying yeah yeah we caught him <laughs> cool like or you could show her like <laughs> picking him out of a lineup and like all right that's cool they've got candy man yeah and then okay. and then it gives the i guess the viewer some sense of relief of all right cool the candy man killer has been taken care of now let's move on with our lives yeah and then i guess when the killings keep happening that's when people start freaking out the killings don't keep happening because it's not the, soon the doctor? after. The doctor? Is, is the doctor... Doctor and Trevor the only ones that get killed after... Well, Bernadette gets killed. Well, yeah. Yeah, so the killings do continue. There's, yeah, there's at least three people that I, happen I, after... I thought you meant, like, the killings continue before you see Candyman. Oh, no. no so no, so when you first see him, like, we touched on this before, it's in, like, this empty car park, and she's, like, going to her car, and he appears in that, like, long, like, almost royal-looking, like, fur coat or whatever no, like at the other side of the car park. to America shit. Yeah, yeah. Like... It's interesting because he's just kind of standing there at a distance, like like you said, this tall looming figure with his like hands behind his back, and he's like speaking to her via like telepathy. Like I'm pretty sure you don't see his very, mouth move very seductively. Yeah, and then he just kind of like, well, I thought he like hovered, but maybe he just like slowly like walks towards her, and she's like paralyzed or or hypnotized, and she has these like flashes. Like what are these like flashes that it shows? These glimpses of things as he's like speaking to her and approaching her. I wish I could remember. Because in that moment when he's speaking to her, it's like hostile. It's not romantic yet. I'm pretty sure he's still talking about like killing her. Well, yeah, not necessarily killing her, but like using her to perpetuate his story. Okay. Because he he says that because because she's like found the real Candyman and sort of debunked the Candyman myth, Mm. people are stopping believing. Mm. And so he needs to actually come and uh, like make people believe again because that's where he gets his power from. Yeah. So, so we have another killer that's like yeah. another version of Freddy Krueger where he needs believers to get his full power. Mm. Yeah, interesting. That's true. And it must be after that scene, her first encounter with him, when she wakes up like on that bathroom floor mm-hmm. covered in blood, which is sick because like, that's like halfway through the, through the film, I think, at this point. So it's like yeah. all this lead up up to then where it's just like um, superstition... Uh, and hearsay, and then all of a sudden, there's just this like bathroom covered, covered in, in blood, blood. Opens the door, and like a severed dog's head in front of her, like it's gnarly. Yeah. I I thought that was such like a sudden escalation, just a, just a complete tonal shift. Yeah, but it was perfect. Oh yeah, and then, I loved that. And then you get like the mother coming in, and like you mm. get that fight scene where she's, well, she hits her in the arm with a fucking meat cleaver. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it it all of a sudden becomes very, I don't know gory <laughs> mm, yeah and it's yeah so she she's covered in blood 
she thinks she's been like gutted with the hook, then realizes it's like she's not bleeding, opens the door, sees the dog get, and then the baby's crib, right, is like covered mm. in blood, but the baby's gone. Yeah. Well, at first I thought the baby was just dead. Like, yeah, I thought it was like the mother's there. On yeah, the mattress. mother's there, like <laughs> shaking the fucking crib. I thought it was just a dead baby, but no, yeah, yeah. Kid, kidnapped a baby. What I really liked in that sequence as well is you've got this like non diegetic heartbeat in the score mm-hmm. so you can hear like the tension of the blood rushing in her ears or whatever i thought that was a really nice touch and what i also liked is after that when it shows her in the cop station and nobody believes her everyone thinks she's killed the dog and the baby and obviously they've seen her like hack at the woman mm-hmm. the cop is like just stoic and callous and making her undress and she's covered in blood like crying mm-hmm. like it's just such a convincing performance yeah from virginia madsen in that scene oh yeah well that that's like a that scene in particular is interesting in a like horror point of view because especially what did we say this movie was 92 mm. uh, like early to late pretty much all of the 80s slashes and horrors had become this like just horny lots of naked people yeah <laughs> naked people in every single horror movie yeah this movie like completely breaks that mold the only real nudity you see is like when she's in the cop station getting undress mm. but it's not sexualized at all it's i get it's more to show yeah. like how vulnerable she's become because yeah. she's covered in blood she's got like a a correctional officer telling mm. her to get undressed and you get a little bit of nudity but it's just all right she's just completely vulnerable i was gonna say that vulnerability is also i guess towards the end when she's like having a bath mm. and you can see her nude and trevor comes in and that's when she suspects that he's like having an affair with the student Mm. But yeah, she's like there naked in front of him, like as vulnerable as you can be as a human being. Yeah. Um, But still not comfortable. Yeah. yeah, It's 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 very cool to see them use nudity, not in a just gratuitous way. It's just, Mm. it's it's used sort of just blatantly as this is human. Yeah. Because she begins as such a confident character as well, Mm. as like such a skeptic. Completely turned on its head. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked how that all kind of happens. As the gore comes in. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting it's completely juxtaposition. Flips. Like, oh, this is why it's that rating. Mm, yeah. And then we learn the baby's not dead. The baby's been taken. Mm-hmm. Kidnapped. Sure. The kid has been napped <laughs> <laughs> by a candy man. Um, there's a scene where it shows the kid, like, on this crib, this, like, makeshift crib, this altar almost, in his lair, I'm going to call it, because it looks like a creepy it's a lair, lair, a candlelit lair. Um, there's a scene where he like holds his like hook hand above the baby and then like gets the baby to suck his finger. I didn't know if he like wiped some of the blood from his hand and like made the baby suck that or if it was like honey. I assumed it was honey. Okay. Like surely. That makes, that's kind of better, I guess. It's still creepy, but. I don't know. Like, why is that scene there? Is it, is it just to show that he's keeping the baby alive? I, yeah, I think it's just to show that like. Cause it's, it's a couple of weeks at least between when. Like, uh, she's first convicted or first, like, found with the dead body and stuff. Mm. Like, the dead dog. And then when she has the thing with the baby at the end. Yeah, I see it as uh, a reflection of Candyman's true character. Like, he was just... He's not out there to kill babies? Yeah, he was just, like, uh, a lovesick, unfortunate man. And, uh, you know, that had these, like, atrocities committed against him. But... (laughs) Like we said before in that car park scene when Helen has her first encounter with him, he perpetuates that superstition of how horrible he is um, to, like, give him power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It's almost like how, like I said before, Phantom of the Opera, how he's just this self-conscious man that's madly in love underneath the mask. That's all of us, Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I don't know if that was... uh, that came out as poetic as I was trying to be. Um, yeah, and I can't remember when it is in the film, but one of my favorite moments is I, I don't think it she summons him. Like, I don't think she says his name five times in the mirror, but there's just a moment when she's looking at a reflection and then you just see the, the hook like smash through the glass. Yeah, I. I love that scene so much because yeah. even while watching it, so that's a scene I hadn't seen before, even while watching it, it fooled me. Because, mm-hmm. like, everyone knows about the classic, like, mirror, like, medicine oh, cabinet jump opens, scare. Yeah, she opens it, shuts it, and, like, oh, there's going to be something in the mirror. I was like, oh, they're doing yeah. this, this old fucking chestnut. And then when it comes out of the yeah. mirror, I was like, holy shit, so that's sick. good. And then how the camera, like, moves back with her, and as she's shutting the door, you can see the arm, yeah. like, flailing around with the hook. Yeah. Yeah, I loved that. 
That and was yeah, so There's sick. also another scene later where she like l- tries to lock him out or close the door on him mm. and then she's inside and then he just up, he's just behind her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's good that's, too. That's one thing I was wary of going into this film with the bathroom ritual because I was like, okay, you've got a fucking medicine cabinet <laughs> mirror and a shower curtain. Like, is are they going to use all these tropes? But from memory, they never have like a shower curtain jump scare. No. And yeah, that's the closest they come to the, the mirror scare. But yeah, like you said, they flip it on its head. So yeah. that was very cool to see. And I also love the scene when Helen like summons Candyman in the doctor's office and she says his name five times, but then there's like a really long pause. So yeah. Because you think, because that's that comes directly after as well. The doctor shows her the the video footage of the like her first night there, mm. where initially you see it from her point of view, where Candyman's floating above her. Oh, and then it goes under the bed. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. When she's like yeah. strapped in and, the and then when you get the, the doctor room. showing her the the footage, it's like, oh, that wasn't real. That was all in her head. Maybe mm. this whole time she has been crazy because they don't outright prove that Candyman's real. Mm. They, they like they sort of play with the idea that she is just turning crazy. Yeah, and then you get that pause, like oh shit, okay. And then he gets gutted from what was it? Taint to toes? What is <laughs> taint to tip? <laughs> Did you say taint to toes? What was it? Chuff to chuff to chaps? teeth? Taint um, to teeth? What, what are we? What's the expression you used before? He just—it's just like this. Oh, uh, groin to gullet. Groin to gullet. Yeah. There you go. Th- there's just like this long pause, and the doctor's kind of just like has a smug smirk and then he just gets, yeah, like ripped from his like waist up to his yeah. neck and like in the back of his spine. But I think I read that in uh, cut versions that they played in theatres overseas, they removed that scene. Oh, okay. Or maybe, just, it, maybe just too gory? Yeah, either they removed that scene and they just showed people breaking into the room and him like shooting through the window when he like gets <laughs> so yank, yanked through there. You can see the wires yeah. and everything. It's, Just it's... balls up, goes out the window. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if, if they remove that whole scene or just, just that moment. because They couldn't don't... remove the whole scene because that's how she escapes. So like when he does it in that doctor's office, she's the one that summons him, he kills the doctor. Do you think in that moment he's like helping her? Uh Yep, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I reckon because, like you said, she escapes. Yeah, after because that distraction. Because at, at that point, he already has plans with her. He even says, "I have plans with you." Like mm. he wants to use her to perpetuate his own story. Mm. Like he wants to. Right, I think he even tells her, "Like we're gonna kill ourselves, or I'm gonna kill you and myself to perpetuate the story and make people believe in me again." Mm. And then she'll live on forever, like he does. Yeah, and they end up like back at his lair because it's kind of like this. I got, like, the fly vibes when he's, like, carrying her, like, back to his lair kind of thing when, like, <laughs> right. Brundlefly appears, yeah. like, um, in the hospital or whatever. And that's when they have, like, the live bee makeout scene. Yep. <laughs> Which is sick. Um, and then the whole, like, bonfire set up and the baby's in there. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because, like you said, he doesn't want to kill the baby, right? Uh, I think at the end he does. Okay, so yeah. he does in fact use it as a lure. Yeah, he was he was okay. he was just using the baby as a way to like trick her there and lure her there, mm. saying he'll let the baby go. But then at the end, he's like, "No, the baby's part of this as well." Okay, like, the baby has to die. See, I really liked that how young Jake appears again, and he just gets a glimpse of the hook. He doesn't see like Helen climbing into the crying baby with the hook in her hand. Mm. So he's like, "Oh, I saw Candyman." And then that's <laughs> when they set that big junk pile of light. Yeah. Which that was It's also funny because in the original like The Forbidden Book, it's in England, and so that whole bonfire thing is meant to be part of like their what was it Guy Fawkes Day where they always light oh, a bonfire. That end scene as well or, or well, like that final act I'll say when that does go up in flames and um she like crawls out with the baby like on fire and all yeah. her hairs like burnt off. Like that was pretty horrific. Yeah. Like <laughs> really it, good practical effects. It, it almost tricks you into thinking it's going to be a happy ending and she's going to escape. But yeah. no, I mean, it sort of is a happy ending. Like she, she uses like her last ounce of strength to beat Candyman and save mm. the baby, mm. but she still ends up dying. <laughs> yeah. And I love when you see Candyman still in the fire and it's just got his like, stiff corpse like hanging over some limbo with the hook hand like going up in flames and mm-hmm. like the burst of bees yeah like the swarm of bees that come out of the top the, the only thing i am sort of questioning about is does he have a physical form and is limited by physical stuff because he's obviously a supernatural being that can appear and disappear as need be yeah i be. mean uh <laughs> nice but 
the way she beats him is just like grabs a bit of wood and stabs him in the shoulder and then gets away. See, and then he gets killed by fire. Yeah, you kind of mentioned this before. I got like Nightmare on Elm Street vibes where they like summoned him and then could kill him because he was of flesh and blood. Okay. I don't know. But the sequel is called Farewell to the Flesh, so he can't have flesh. <laughs> mm. So maybe he... Well, I've not seen the sequel, so Neither maybe... Have I. I have no idea. Maybe he got burned alive, and then his spirit goes on. Maybe and... it's just like the sheer act of her defiance. Like, mm. he, he he can only control her, like same with hypnotism. hypnotism. Mm. She, he can only control her if she is susceptible to it, and she sort of not lets him, but doesn't fight it. You know what? Whereas ne- now she's finally has that strength of character to save the baby. And so she has the strength to like hold him off. And so that takes his power away. Yeah. I like that. He's like an early Green Lantern. Yeah. Now that we're going into this, a lot of this is reminding me of Smile. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like passing from one person to another, like this superstition that no one else believes, the fire at the end, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the sacrifice. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe that's maybe it's just because it's fresh on your mind. Interesting. Yeah, probably. Uh, and then you you see her funeral, and um, mm. it's just like a handful of people. For some reason, the husband brought the <laughs> the student along. Yeah, and because uh, he's a dick, that's why. Yeah, and you get that really nice moment of just that whole, community, whole community from yeah. the the projects coming in, and the mother of the baby, because uh, obviously she she saved the child, and Jake drops that like. Hook on the coffin, yeah. I love um, the end scene of this film, how Trevor is like back in the apartment and he's grieving in the bathroom while his uh, student he's having an affair with is just like cracking the shits with him in the kitchen, yep. um, which is really funny to see because she's just like a, a, you know, a kid, right? Well, <laughs> she's, she is of age. <laughs> she's of age. She's a, she doesn't understand. Yeah. Um, and because he's just like grieving, saying her name over and over in the bathroom, he like inadvertently summons, summons her, her, burnt and scalped with the hook and yep. and bloody guts him or what have you. And it's Fucks that... him up is what she does. Yeah, that lingering final shot of him like splayed out in the bathtub with blood everywhere and just that girl screaming. I, like I said at the start of this episode... Um, how the director, Bernard Rose, hates screaming. I love that he saved it for the very final shot. That's, that. in, that's interesting you say that because that's the whole final sequence after the funeral is yeah. my, probably my least favorite part of the movie. Oh, okay. Why is that? Because I feel like it just gets too cheap at that point. Okay. Like it, it, like one that's, final scare. Yeah, like it's the one final scare. It, it just seems kind of out of place Okay, and, and just, just cheap. I guess that whole final sequence is just showing that she's become part of the legend. Yeah. So if they could just do that in a different way, I don't know. That's a fair point because I do enjoy throughout the film when they show the lair um, or that like abandoned apartment in Cabrini Green and it's got the graffiti murals and she, I think it's when Helen goes in there like exploring and taking photos and stuff earlier in the film and she looks at the people in the paintings and how they resemble... Candyman or the daughter of the wealthy white man that he fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And as it like zooms in on them, you hear the non-diegetic sounds of like the screaming or the burning and mm-hmm. um, like the the mob essentially of the atrocity when it happened. That was really nice. I guess talking about the, the technique of it, we've touched on some of the shots which are really nice in this film. I really like the score and the soundtrack as well. Oh, it's beautiful. Like, like the, that the piano the, melody? Piano, organ, like the choral fucking Yeah, singing. the eerie choir. Yeah, it's good yeah, stuff, man. It's, it's very unnerving. And uh, speaking of the practical effects, like the fire and, and all this kind of thing, it's a horror film in the sense that it elicits fear, yeah. as we've discussed. Sure. But there's no, like, scary makeup. Like, Candyman looks normal. It's just his hand. Yeah. That, well, like, his face, there, I mean. There is that is scene normal. where he opens up his coat and it's like... Ah, uh, the, yeah. There's like bees the ribs. and it's all rib, exposed ribs and flesh. So, that, that's pretty horrific. Yeah, that's true, actually. Um, like, all the close-up view, like close up shots of his bloody stump is pretty horrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a gnarly stump. Yeah, well... It, <laughs> it's still fresh. Yeah, by the law, they sawed his hand off and just jammed a hook in oh. it. It just makes it cringe. Um, yeah, so I guess apart from the, the hook hand and that moment, I just thought it was really interesting that it's one of the few, if you can call him, horror villains that, like, at least from, you know, like, the neck up looks normal. 
Looks like a normal guy. Sure, he looks he's like Tony Todd, which built is like a brick shit house. I feel like he's also one of like the few black horror villains, right? Like, can you name any others? Um, I'm I'm trying to think like Jordan Peele here, and because even in like we, I think we touched on the the remake requel that Jordan Peele produced, right? Yeah, I think, e- even in he, that, was he credited as one of the writers as well? Oh, maybe, perhaps. I don't know. I've I've not seen it. I I wanted to watch it before this, but mm. it didn't have time. Yeah, uh, and it's not on any streaming services. But I believe in that they sort of turned Candyman from a straight up villain to more of a not an anti hero, but they almost set him up to be this like supernatural avenger to like yeah. avenge injustice against the like black community. Yeah, I too have not seen it, but I watched a bunch of clips of it on YouTube and they kind of gave it the the Halloween treatment or mm-hmm. or what like The Exorcist is about to get, where it's like a direct sequel to the original um, so just like wipes the slate clean in between kind of mm. thing. Yeah. And it's focusing on like an adult Anthony mm. and there's this really cool bathroom scene where it's, uh, it, the school and these girls are in there daring each other to like summon him in the mirror mm-hmm. and then they go to leave. Um, and another girl walks in and then the door won't open and all this, weird shit starts happening and they start getting killed and one of the girls drops like a handheld like clam mirror compact mirror yeah yeah compact clam mirror (laughs) i'm educated and the chick that's in the bathroom stall can like see it under the door and in the reflection she can see like Candyman's legs like lift this chick up and all this blood just like like liters of blood (laughs) just like spill onto the ground i thought that was pretty sick because i definitely feel like that was a missed opportunity in the 1992 one where they could have used reflections a bit more as an analogy of that. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. There you go. Alex is showing me Jordan Peele was in fact credited as one of the writers. Oh, there you go. And like you said before, there was a couple sequels. There was Farewell to the Flesh in 1995 and Day of the Dead in 1999, which I have not seen. I think they were regarded as not that good, if uh, I have yeah. heard correctly. They all still had Tony Todd, didn't they? Candyman, I believe memory. so. Yeah, they, they would have had to, surely. Mm. But yeah, because I... I, th- I think when they made the the 2021 version, mm. like uh, he was saying, like behind the scenes, because he didn't get cast as Candyman, it's a different guy playing him. Mm. Uh, I think he was completely amicable about it. He's like, "Yep, yeah, I've been like this has been part of me for 25 years or whatever. Mm. I like I'm completely happy to pass it on, and I'm happy that someone else is taking the role." And like he he was saying a lot of stuff like it's. It's more about the message and the story than any individual. So he, he was very cooperative and he was very happy to allow other people to do it, which is always good to see. Like, Yeah. They, they're not just going to take ownership. No, it's, it's me or nothing. It's my way or the highway. Because I guess that's like... No ego involved. Yeah. I love it. I, I guess I better ask you this since we both saw this for the first time this week and haven't really discussed it because we wanted to leave it for this recording. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I loved Candyman? it. I, like I said, I'd seen clips. I knew a lot about it already. So I, I knew I would like it. And I like it even more after watching it. I think mm. it is probably up there of my favorites. Ooh, like maybe okay. make it into the top ten, top, bottom five or top ten. Yeah, nice. But uh, but I'm not too sure. Yeah, that okay. final scene does does not help it. Mm. See, <laughs> but I, it's, it's I really there. I really liked that because I, I just think it's. But I can it, understand your qualms. I just think it's the perfect horror movie. It's it sets up the story. Mm. It has compelling characters that most of the characters are likable. Mm-hmm. It's got good messages. It looks good. It's all practical. Mm. It sets up like a double bluff, like mm. a good double bluff halfway through, mm-hmm. and then re-ups the ante, gets gory, and then it's has a has a good payoff, nice little message at the end. Yeah, like we said before, and it's got Tony Todd. <laughs> Say no more. And even the characters that are not likable in this like the cheating husband trevor gets what's coming to him in the end anyway Hmm. so the story of Candyman, how he came to be uh and how the guy ordered his hand to be cut off and lathered in honey and burned do they ever make a link between that and these killings of saying his name five times in a mirror like there's no is it like a way that he's avenging his death by killing white people in the future like i don't yeah, See I, the connection. I, I think it's just similar to like the where did Bloody Mary come from? Like it's just something, some a tragedy happened to someone, and mm. then people took that and turned it into an urban legend that perpetuates. I don't know. Yeah, it kind of gives me like 
To Kill a Mockingbird vibes where a black man was like wrongfully accused of raping a, mo- a woman when she actually like invited him in after he was doing yard work and when she started to like come on to him he was like no please I can't do this I don't want it and then in trial like he just there's just a miscarriage of justice it kind of gave me that vibe but yeah I don't really know if that superstition was created by people in the housing projects with Cabrini Green or whether that was like, I don't know, suburban Uh white folk. (laughs) The movie doesn't treat it as like a bad place inherently. Mm. Like then the movie's not saying because it's a poor black, like oriented neighborhood, it's inevitably crime ridden and bad. Mm. Pretty much all of the characters in that community are just people. Yeah, It's just that there's a perception in the movie that it's bad. Mm. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's good to see. Yeah, it's like when you get to know Anne-Marie a bit more, like mm. the one who's got baby Anthony, as Helen and Bernadette create that rapport with her. I feel like that was that relationship was necessary in this story to kind of break down that wall a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I very much enjoyed this because, like I said, I am a fan of like romantic tragedies, I guess you'd call mm. them, um, like Dracula and Frankenstein. Um, even like Romeo and Juliet. And I like that tie-in with Shakespeare, with The Sweets to the Sweet. Yep. And I like that it's a horror film, but there's minimal gore and screaming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's very different. It's not like too innovative in the way it's shot, I guess, outside of that opening sequence of the highway, like mm-hmm. that steady cam aerial shot. And I guess changing those mirror scenes, like we've touched on. Yep. But it's just different uh, tone of horror mm. film. That's, that's uh, I think pretty much puts it on the nose of why I like it so much. It's just mm. different. It's a very different horror movie to the usual slasher, like, formula. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's Yeah, that is that is a good way to put it. This is a slasher film, but you feel sorry for the characters. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> even the slasher himself. Yeah, it's it's yeah. quite unusual. And I, uh, I also love how it lives in my head that sometimes I think I'm just fucked because <laughs> the song Candyman will get stuck in my head and I'll just be singing Candyman. it. Yeah. And then I'll just... I'll walk by a mirror. I'm like, how many times did I just sing Candyman? Am I going to die now? <laughs> Candyman, 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 Candyman. Oh, he did it. Shit. All right, yeah. there's no more episodes after this. Nathan's been gutted in his sleep, taking a whiz at 1 a.m. in the dark and found <laughs> the butcher's hook in his groin. <laughs> All right. I think that's about it. That is it for our, our tour episode on Candyman. So I hope you enjoyed that. We both liked it. We both enjoyed it. We both yes. love Tony Todd. Recommend. <laughs> Yeah, so you can catch us every Friday at 5pm on any streaming service that you wish to find us on. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out our socials, Dead House or Dead House Pod. Facebook, Facebook and Instagram. Instagram. Snap. Hey. <laughs> uh, catch you guys later. We'll be right back.